0: Today's episode is brought to you by Care Connected. Care Connected is an Australian virtual health clinic who offers a range of helpful services tailored to the specific needs of our rare and less common cancer community. They offer several personalised cancer care plans that can be delivered anywhere via video calls and telehealth services. Care Connected are accredited by the Australian Council on Healthcare Services. I will tell you more during the mid-episode break. Today, I want to open the episode with two different quotes. You've probably heard them before and dismissed them as cliches, but by the end of the episode, my hope is that you will be able to take a different meaning from both of them. The first is from the ancient Chinese philosopher, Lao Tzu, and he said, Do the difficult things while they are easy, and do the great things while they are small. A journey of a thousand miles must begin with one step. And the second, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But by all means, keep moving. And that was said by Martin Luther King Jr. in April of 1960.
1: Yeah, so, you know, you you kind of get in that headspace and you think "Mm, it's, it's all over. But as we said, we are pretty positive people. And after a weekend of... As I said, just shock and staring at the walls. You know, we probably didn't say two words to each other because you're just in your own mind thinking, you know, how is this happening to us? But um, Donna came to me with a decision in the morning and she said if she was lucky enough to have a one in a million cancer, that she'd be lucky enough to beat it.
0: From Rare Cancers Australia, you're listening to Radio Rare. The podcast where we share the stories of those in and around the rare and less common cancer community. I'm James Matthews, and today, Dr. Emily will be sitting down with carer Ben Maguire as he shares the dramatic journey of his family when Donna, Ben's wife, was diagnosed with a rare cancer. He recounts from the time of the first biopsy through the ups and downs no one sees coming. You may feel like this story is similar to your own or like that of someone you care for. And that's exactly the point. We're not just here to help, but sometimes be a simple reminder that while you may be only one person with your cancer, together we are a community of tens of thousands. If you or your caregiver ever need to speak to someone, our specialist cancer navigators are here for you. Reach out on 1-800-257-600 or email support at rarecancers.org.au.
2: Hello to all our listeners and thank you for joining us today on Radio Rare. I'm Dr. Emily Isham and with me today, Ben Maguire, caregiver for his wife Donna, who was diagnosed with rare and aggressive adrenocortical carcinoma last year. Good afternoon, Ben. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us briefly a bit about who you are?
1: Yes, how are we going? Um, So yes, um, my name is Ben Maguire. Um, I'm... 39 years old, got to my lovely wife, Donna, and my little girl, Grace. Uh, got a great little family, um, pretty much uh, been enjoying life up until recently.
2: And tell me about what happened early last year, Ben.
1: So early last year, uh, it was February actually in 2019, uh, Donna came to me and told me that her doctors uh, had discovered a large tumour. At that stage, they thought it was a tumour on a kidney and that it was benign. And it came in as a bit of a shock to us both because Donna really had no symptoms that would make her think that anything was wrong with her. So we had a uh, recommendation to go see a specialist that uh, would be able to conduct the surgery. And we ended up meeting a doctor, um, a fantastic doctor, actually, uh, by the name of Nigel Douglinson, uh, who took the lead for Donna's operation. Initially, it was thought the operation would be to remove the tumor and the kidney. Um, and Nigel was extremely confident. He's a very skilled surgeon. So um, we're very confident going into this. Due to the size of this tumour and the complexity of where it was located, Nigel did engage a few more specialists and did quite a few reviews on the tumour and kind of got a game plan happening a bit of a plan of attack for us. But as they conducted more and more of these meetings, one of the specialists noticed some suspect items and wanted to conduct some further scans on Donna. On the day the initial operation was to take place, they actually decided to cancel the operation and do a biopsy. On our next meeting with Nigel, he then told us that this was far more serious than what they first thought, and it was then that we found out it was a very rare and very aggressive cancer in quite late stages that had actually spread throughout Donna's body. So in March 2019, Donna was officially diagnosed with adrenocortical carcinoma or adrenal cancer. Mm.
2: And how did you both wrap your heads around all of this and also convey that information to your family and close friends?
1: Well, to, to start with, we didn't do much. I think we kind of looked at the war for a weekend because it was just so much to take in. I suppose we're pretty much, we're pretty devastated. I, I just remember thinking, you know, this, this isn't really fair. It's not how our life is supposed to end up. I remember thinking the thoughts know, the thoughts going through my mind were just just kind of overwhelming. And um, I often felt a lot of the time I was being very selfish because everything I was worrying about was to do with myself. So, um, you know, here I am worrying about how I'm going to continue to do my job and how I'm able to look after my daughter as well as what Donna does. And um, yeah, that made me feel really kind of guilty for for, for a long time. And, you know, it's bad enough for me. I can only imagine what was going through Donna's mind on how she felt. So,
2: A lot of people, receiving a cancer diagnosis can be the hardest thing they might ever encounter. There is so much processing that comes with a cancer diagnosis that it can take days, weeks, or even months to start to feel somewhat in control again, if ever. The worry, however, is a weight that is not carried alone, but instead rests on the shoulders of the whole family and even sometimes further afield. If you find yourself becoming anxious and feeling guilty for someone else's cancer, that's okay. Because empathy can be one of the hardest emotions of all.
1: You know, the thought of not being able to see your daughter grow up is pretty, pretty kind of heartbreaking. So we kind of started the process by talking to family members, which of course took the news as expected. And then had the difficult um, task of kind of talking to our um, five-year-old daughter at the time about what this all means. So that was tough and we were very worried that we were going to say the wrong thing. But um, with some guidance, um, it, it actually didn't go too badly. So,
2: mm, Gosh, that's brutal. So you, you and Donna, obviously, having been through all of this, you have A pretty, a pretty strong marriage by the sounds of it. Were you able to talk to each other through it all? Or did you find you had to turn to people outside of your family unit to, to debrief?
1: I think talking on this kind of level, like we're talking, we did find it really hard because it's, if you talk about it, I suppose it's real. So I think, I think for us, you know, we're, we're pretty positive people, but this kind of really kind of beat us down and really made us numb. So. It was more about talking about what the next next step was and what we had to do to kind of progress.
2: Mm, yes, yeah. I'm curious about also that time when you said that you were preparing for this big surgery to remove the tumor, and I'm sure you had a lot of hope staked upon getting rid of that tumor. But they turned it into a biopsy at the last minute. What what was the thinking behind making that decision at the last minute? Do you think is it is it because that they had so little information and and Clear knowledge about which route to take with Donna's cancer.
1: Well, I suppose at that time, it, it wasn't really known. I suppose it was—it was probably just a bit of good luck that um, we had the right people looking and requested different types of scans, which then showed up the cancer. So I suppose they were expecting one thing, and, and thank goodness they kind of found another. So that—that that was kind of tough. But when you look back at back at it. We're very thankful that Nigel and the team took the time to do that and, you know, didn't open her up and do the surgery and then all of a sudden find these huge complications.
2: Very wise by the sounds of it. Mm. So it sounds like he, he though he didn't himself know a heap about what was going on, he was keen to find out more for your benefit.
1: He he was. Yeah.
2: And then you encountered this awful waiting game. Can you tell us a bit more about what what happened from that point on, Ben?
1: Well, basically, um, yeah, we're kind of waiting to get in and figuring out what's going on. So, we kind of know that, hey, you've got this cancer. No one can really tell us too much about it. So, as you do, you kind of start doing your own research. Um, you know, we both kind of got stuck into figuring out what this is all about. And uh, the more we looked into it, the more it didn't look very good. You know, when you're discovering you've got a very rare cancer, in fact, so rare, it's a one in a million cancer. Uh, and then you continue to read about people's outlooks that are pretty extremely grim. And uh, even if you can beat it, the chance of reoccurrence is extremely high. Um, It was then we kind of started to realize that there wasn't really a a clear treatment path for the cancer and and we're really in a bit of trouble. So it it became pretty tough because it was at that point that reality kind of hit. And, you know, I I was kind of resigned to the thought that this is how it was going to end. This is what's going to kill my wife.
2: What a devastating thought at the time.
1: Yeah, so, you know, you, you kind of get in that headspace and you think it's, it's all over. But as I said, we are pretty positive people. And after a weekend of, as I said, just shock and staring at the walls, you know, we probably didn't say two words to each other because you're just in your own mind thinking, you know, how is this happening to us? But um, Donna came to me with a decision in the morning and she said, if she was lucky enough to have a one in a million cancer, that she would be lucky enough to beat it. And that really changed the perspective of how we were thinking and, and really kind of got us in a bit of a game plan to kind of attack this thing.
2: That's an incredibly resilient thought for someone who's encountered such a devastating diagnosis to come up with. That's um
1: Well, she's pretty tough, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds like she's quite a fighter.
1: Definitely. So, you know, with that kind of attitude, that really kind of helped us to think, right, okay, well, we're not going to let this us. Let, let's get on with it. So, of course, we um, head back to uh, Dr. Nigel, uh, Douglinson and, um, and his team, and uh, we, we kind of started to talk to him about what, what's the next step. So, um, he put us in touch with um, another bunch of specialists, and uh, the first kind of plan was we had to go get some radiation done. So, Donna had to get... Uh, and it was all quite quick because uh, of the aggressiveness of this cancer and how quickly it spreads. It was, it was very much a rush. So off to radiology to get some radiation. Donna had to go. She had 10 rounds of radiation back to back, having to go there every single day. And of course, we were warned how tough that'll be for Donna to, to get through, but, um, she's tough. She coped with that really, really well and, and got through that really well. Once she got through the, um, radiation, it was time, finally, finally time. Um, in April 2019, to get Donna into surgery. Once again, we sit down with Nigel, and he explained all the risks. Risks, you know, the the, the tumour, the adrenal gland, the kidney. Uh, he believed they all had to come out. Uh, they were certainly worried about the spleen and the liver. And there was a risk that uh, a part of Donna's diaphragm would actually have to come out as well, just due to the size of this tumour, how it was crushing and putting pressure on other organs in a body. They were very worried that it may have fused some of this, these organs together. If if this was to happen, he was saying there was a very high chance of complications. With that in mind, still very positive. We've got the right team behind us. Um, you know, the surgery, we jumped into surgery, and the surgery took six hours, and I, I didn't realise how long six hours was until you're sitting in a hospital waiting room watching one of those digital displays, watching your wife move around a hospital. And, uh, of course, just anxiously sitting there waiting for the phone call from Nigel uh, to tell me that the surgery had been completed and what the outcome was. So when I finally got that call, you know, you're just, you're just holding your breath, just waiting to hear what, he, what he's going to say. And, of course, very thankfully, the surgery was very successful and it actually went better than what they expected. So they only had to remove the tumour, of course, the adrenal gland and the kidney and a very small part of a spleen. The rest survived. So in the end, they pulled out a three-and-a-half-kilo, 20-centimetre tumour.
2: Oh, my goodness. That's the equivalent of a newborn baby.
1: Yep, yep. It was um, it was pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And of course, after that, you just feel so relieved that it was like a milestone. We've made it through this major surgery and such a big part of Donna's treatment. But of course, you're very quickly reminded then that this was just the beginning, and and Donna uh, had a very long road ahead of her.
2: Yes, yeah, so you kind of, you kind of look back at at cancer sometimes the road you've come and i'm sure a lot of, of people living with cancer can relate to this and you have your hopes just focused on the one test and then that test comes and you get the results and then you realize there's there's something else to focus on it's a, it's a much bigger picture than just the one but at the same time you kind of need those little victories in between you know you need those little little targets to focus on during the course of it. Otherwise, it's just too overwhelming to look at the long-term goal all-in-one sometimes, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 100%. Like uh, getting through that and what we thought was going to be, you know, one of the hardest parts of this, um, You really, we really come out of it really positive and we really come out of it even more determined that, hey, we've gotten through this. Now, Now we've got to start working on what the next part of it is, and that's, of course, treating the remaining cancer. So Donna had a pretty long recovery. The time then was to try to find an oncologist or a cancer specialist that specialised in this kind of stuff, how naive we were, but uh, we thought we're going to find the best person. We're going to find the best person to um, help us fight this. We, you know, We already had great surgeons with that. We want to find the next best people. So during Donna's recovery period, we, we made a lot of calls to an oncologist that we were recommended. Uh, they said, you've got to go to this person, they're the best. So we thought we'll get on to them and and we've got a bit of a jump start into getting a treatment plan together. So we're pretty um, keen to kind of get the plan together and and get it going. But, of course, because of how rare this cancer is, we were told that they had to consult with other people and they'll come back to us once they knew how to proceed. And, you know, through this period, we did not once get a phone call from them. We would follow up and follow up and it would be the same conversation. Oh, nothing's progressed. We're still looking. Uh, you know, it's, it's not as easy as what you think. And, uh, it kind of dawned on us that it was just too hard for this particular team of people and they just didn't know what to do. So the frustrating part of that is because of the in- inaction of this oncologist, we wasted five weeks of valuable planning time. How we could have wasted five weeks when we're dealing with such an aggressive cancer is just beyond me. It just, it just really infuriated us and kind of pushed us back another couple of steps. <laughs> So we went back to uh, the most helpful person throughout this, which was uh, Dr. Nigel, and, uh, and said, mate, we need your help again. We, we really need to find someone that's, that's, that's going to help us. So we ended up getting another recommendation and booked in to see them, um, and we are really anxious, of course, to finally get a, an action plan moving forward. So it's, it's now like May 2019, and we're preparing to meet a, a senior oncologist I've got my notepad out there. I've been given all this advice, you know, make sure you write everything down. So I've got my notepad out. I'm ready to take a million notes. Um, and we're really focused on on what we're going to do and how we can beat this thing. But um, unfortunately, this meeting did not go to our expectation as well. After waiting for a long time as you're doing these things, you finally get into the room with the oncologists and their support staff. And probably the hardest thing through all this is when you're met with a lot of, uh, you know, I'm really sorry, and they've got that really sad look like, you know, you're in trouble. That really makes it hard when you're looking for help and you're met with those kind of, those kind of looks and those kind of um, gestures. The oncologist finally came into the room and talks about how rare the cancer is that Donna has. Um, he, he talks to us about there being no clear treatment path, which once again, you're thinking we need help. Like, where's the person here to help us? Um, it, it got quite frustrating because this doctor had to leave multiple times. To take phone calls. And we really felt like he wasn't really giving us much of his undivided attention. It started to aggravate us a bit because we waited two hours to see him. And, you know, the least you could do is just give us a little bit of your time. When he finally came back in the room and sat down with us, you know, I kind of naively kind of asked him about the chance of remission or or curing what Donna has. And I I just remember the look on his face, and and it really is burnt into my brain. And it took everything in me not to react to what he said. Because he just he just sat there, he just sat there shaking his head and shrugging his shoulders and gave us a blank look. And the words that he said next really got to me because it was the conversation went something like this: "There's just no chance of remission. There's no cure. There's no clear treatment path. If you really want to, we could start you on chemo, but all that's going to do is give Donna a poor quality of life until the inevitable happens." He, he sent us off and uh, said, "Just go away and have a think about what you want to do." Uh, go get your affairs in order and schedule another, another appointment.
2: While it's good to listen to your doctor and to follow their advice, you don't have to accept the words of just one practitioner. If something doesn't feel right for you, ask for more tests, ask for a second opinion. Sometimes it can be the most valuable thing to do. Just so hopeless, hey? Just so hopeless. Nothing to even cling on to.
1: No. Well, going from we're all pumped up, we're going to have a plan, give us the plan to uh, you don't have a plan and, well, basically saying get ready to die. It's just to me that just wasn't acceptable. Luckily for us, um, and we didn't know it at the time, but it it was lucky that the oncologist who was, you know, the best of the best uh, had to have surgery. So he, he was saying, listen, I'm going to have to book you in to see another oncologist, which was fine with us, which is fine with us. So. Yeah, we we kind of left and we kind of thought, well, what are we going to do? You know, once again, we're devastated. We're lost. We, we, we I really couldn't get over the conversation that we had um, and the fact that there was just no plan or any way forward. And I remember talking to Donna, thinking like, who who are we going to turn to? Like, we've got a one in a million cancer. We can't find anyone who is an expert in the field, locally and worldwide. And we've spent a lot of time looking, and we're lost without a plan or direction. So it it was just really, it was just really we were just really lost.
2: I mean, it's almost kind of unfathomable in this day and age and and such a common story amongst people living with a rare cancer and and you guys as well, that there is no expert to turn to. You just don't know what's ahead in this day of modern medicine and, and technology that allows us to know so much about the human body that there are some cancers that we just don't have any idea about, and we and we can't find any information worldwide about. Did you find a place that you could go to for information at this point, or were you literally sitting in the dark?
1: We were lost. Yeah, we were lost, and and, and it was it was a pretty. When you look back, you don't, you don't realise how it affects you, I suppose. But it was probably at that stage that you really you, you, you nearly you nearly give up. So f- for me. Um, I might just digress a bit, but um, for me, you know, I just, I just, and for Donna, we just kind of went back and you just throw yourself into work because you can't really help it. We're both really lucky. We've had some extremely um, supportive workplaces that have supported us more than what we could ever reasonably expect. Up until now, of course, I could work around every appointment to make sure I was side by side with Donna. The flexibility that they gave us was, was great. Um, so, you know, I head back to work. I work for a large Australian retailer and uh, I do work closely with the CEO of the business, the general manager and, and all other executive senior staff members in the business. And um, so you go back to work, you throw yourself in work. I'm lost. I'm, I'm probably very depressed. I just don't realize it. But I've always got these people in my ear throughout this time just telling me to stop working, forget about work and just get a plan together for Donna. Um, but of course, you know, as I said, during these difficult times, it was just such a great distraction. You just throw yourself into work, you forget about what's happening and you deal with that when you get home. And I found myself every time I'd have to talk to the CEO of my business, uh, he'd, he'd always stop the conversation and he'd say, oh, I don't want to talk about work. You know, what, what is the plan with Donna? What are you going to do? What's the plan? And I would always, and especially around this time, it was always a conversation, something similar to, well, there's nothing I can do. There's no treatment plan. It's hopeless. There's nothing we can do. And I was a bit resigned to that fact. So I would always find myself in a bit of an argument with the CEO because he, he would get very animated with me and tell me that I can't give up and I, I, I've got to look everywhere. I've got to talk to everyone. I've got to find a plan. I've got to do whatever it takes. And every conversation would always end in him telling me to forget about work and treat Donna's disease as if it was a work project. And to come up with a plan, so I'd always leave those conversations pumped up. He'd be like, "Yes, okay, I'm going to find out what's going on. I'm going to find. I'm going to find an expert worldwide. I'm, I'm, I'm onto to it." And you get on the internet, and you make a few phone calls, and you would hit dead ends every single time. And then all of a sudden, you're back to reality. There's no treatment, and and we're actually in a lot of trouble. So it was it was at this time after that last oncologist meeting, I, I really really buried myself in work again just to forget everything that was happening around us I had some pressing issues to attend to and I get on the phone to the CEO again and I want to bounce some ideas off him and and he just was really short with me this time and he he cut me off and just said the same thing what is the plan with Donna and I started with the same old speech you know: there's no plan, it's helpless, there's nothing we can do and he got pretty short and pretty animated I'll, I'll call it and he said to me that's it I'm absolutely sick of this. You're fired.
0: Ben Maguire's journey continues after some words from our partner, Care Connected, and from our very own patient support team.
1: When we jump back on a plane and we went to um, Sydney to meet uh, Professor Bruce Robinson uh, that uh, Rare Cancer Australia recommended to us, and we headed to the North Shore Hospital. And uh, we're waiting in the office to see Bruce, and I'm, I'm kind of... I'm a bit cynical, I suppose. I'm just thinking this guy will surely be like the rest of them. I'm kind of setting myself up for a bit of disappointment, but uh, little did I know that we're about to find another team member in Donna's A team.
0: Care Connected offers several personalised cancer care plans that can be delivered anywhere via video calls and telehealth services completely eliminating both travel time and waiting rooms. They offer a vast array of services from qualified and experienced professionals, including dietitians, psychologists, physios and nursing care coordinators. And the best thing about all of that is you can do it all in your pyjamas and they don't mind at all. They offer a collection of integrated cancer recovery and supportive care pathways as well as the option to tailor to your specific situation. Learning to live with cancer is one of the hardest things to do, but Care Connected is committed to making it just a little bit easier from anywhere. To learn more, visit www.careconnected.com.au. Our patient support team know that a rare cancer
2: journey is different. We understand it can be hard to find good information, difficult to connect with others in a similar situation, and that you might need someone to chat to about everything that's going on. We are here to listen. We understand rare and you are not alone. Contact our patient support team on 1-800-257-600.
0: Welcome back to Radio Rare. In the first half of this episode, Dr. Emily listened as Ben recounted the journey of his wife, his daughter, and himself when their world was thrown into the whirlpool of ups and downs that is a cancer journey. And without keeping you any longer, let's go straight back in.
1: I'm absolutely sick of this. You're fired. Now, he says to me, I'm still going to pay you you are not going to do any more work until you come back to me with a full plan for Donna. (laughs) So here I am thinking, wow, you know, like this guy's telling me to do it. I haven't really been doing it. I've been trying. But as he said to me, you've only got one chance to get this right and I don't want to regret not doing everything that I could. So he then very generously told me, just don't even think about it. Don't worry about the cost. Don't worry about the worldwide location of where the treatment's needed. Just find the best people and let's make it happen. So, that conversation ended with me being blacklisted. I couldn't talk to anyone. So, I sat at my desk thinking about this again, thinking, okay, I'm going to hit another few roadblocks. It's going to be the same old stuff. And I, I started getting frustrated again at this time that I didn't resolve the work matter. I had to get resolved. So, I thought I'd quickly jump on the phone and quickly talk to the general manager. And this is probably in a space of probably three to four minutes, right? I get on the phone to the general manager And before I could even get a word in, I was told I'm not talking to you. You're blacklisted. So after that, it actually sunk in. I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like, I can't give up. I've got to have a plan. We've only got one choice. Like, my CEO's right. I've only got one chance. I've got to get get everything together and make something happen. It it was a really huge wake-up call for me, and it really probably dragged me out of this helpless slumber that we've been in.
2: Wow, that's um pretty strong collective action at your work, but sounds like it was just the action that was needed at the time.
1: Without that push, we wouldn't have really got stuck into it because you trust the professionals, you trust the people, and they're telling you that it's hopeless. So, unfortunately, you probably believe it. But uh, after this, w- we really got back into forming a plan. I went back to work and told Donna that I'd been fired and, <laughs> you know, all the funny stuff, you know, uh, the, the CEO is going to help us. Um, get through this and, uh, and, and we've got to get a plan. So um, the focus was back on, the positivity was back, and we were really convinced that we're not going to let this beat us. So we fast forward a bit to June 2019. Um, we're heading back to see the replacement oncologist. Now we met uh, Dr. Anita Suda at that stage, and to be honest, we weren't really expecting much. But when we finally got a chance to sit down and speak to her, we were actually pleasantly surprised to be greeted with a plan. She, took, she actually gave us a lot of her time, which was very, very nice. She explained that whilst the outcome wasn't very good, uh, we, we were just going to throw everything at it. We're going to give it a go and see what we can do. She was not sure if what she had planned for us would have any effect, but she was happy to help us. And it just felt like a breath of fresh air. You know, like finally, we have someone that wants to work with us. It was at that time that uh, uh, Dr. Anita Suda also enlisted an endocrinologist, Dr. Penny Bolski, that also amazingly shared the attitude that, hey, we're all in this together. We're going to fight this and we're going to go as hard as we can. So with Nigel, Anita, and Penny, we kind of sat back and we thought, hey, we've got our A-team now. We've got an A-team that is is really going to work with us to start fighting this cancer. So the chemo started and, and Dr. Suda decided that Donna would be put on some pretty intensive chemo, as you can imagine. They basically threw everything at her. So they gave her all variants of chemo. And and once again it was back-to-back treatments. It was four days in a row. Donna be dosed up with chemo from four hours a day. Um well, sorry, up to four hours a day, plus steroids and fluids, resulting in, you know, uh full days in hospital wards. So it was it was pretty long days for poor Donna in there. The endocrinologist, uh, Dr Wolski started a treatment of a drug called mitotone, uh, to also help uh, attack the cancer, which which is something to do with um the uh, adrenal gland levels and all the rest of that stuff so we were kind of on our way uh it was during this time that we, we were researching and talking to everyone that we could uh Donna was on Facebook uh and and actually managed to find some support groups for her particular cancer around the world and started to get suggestions and thoughts and ideas from from people everywhere uh Donna found some people actually in these groups that actually had the exact same disease and were still alive one, two, three, and even up to 20 years later. So uh, that gives you a lot of hope when all of a sudden you're talking to other people that have been through what you've been through and that they're still alive. We kept pushing forward. Um, the CEO of, of my company was was really good. He, he stopped what he was doing as well and started reaching out to contacts worldwide. So we talked to people in America, Korea, Europe. We we looked at every treatment plan. We'd spend nights reading through endless documents and treatment documents and studies. And then it was at this point that Donna come across Rare Cancers Australia. So 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 out of all this out of all this research, after we spoke, spoke to uh, Rare Cancers Australia, um, we actually come up with some really good recommendations. So Rare Cancers recommended. Professor uh, Bruce, Bruce Robinson, who, who's located in Sydney, uh, that was well-educated on the area of uh, Donna's illness, which we kind of took with a grain of salt because you think, well, we can't find anyone that's uh, a bit of an expert. or oh, I doubt this guy is. And then uh, through a contact of, our, of my CEO, we had an invitation to attend an immunotherapy trial at the Olivia Newton-John Clinic in Melbourne. With that, we planned our trip in between Donna's chemo treatments to meet both parties we were really hoping to find just something an alternative treatment that could have a better success uh, or confirmation that the current chemo plan that we were on was the best option that we could have when we got to the Olivia newton john clinic they had a trial going that would be suitable for donna and it, and it looked really promising but we would have to stop the current treatment of chemo and go onto immunotherapy we would need to relocate from queensland to victoria but that was no and there was no guarantees that it would actually kind of work I even had another person uh, somewhere else in the world that was on the trial with the exact same cancer. So we were kind of pretty hopeful that here's another option. This is really, really good. And we jumped back on a plane and we went to um, Sydney to meet uh, Professor Bruce Robinson uh, that uh, Rare Cancer Australia would recommend to us, and we headed to the North Shore Hospital. And uh, we're waiting in the office to see Bruce, and I'm I'm kind of – I'm a bit cynical, I suppose. I'm just thinking this guy will surely be like the rest of them. I'm kind of setting myself up for a bit of disappointment. But uh, little did I know that we're about to find another team member in Donna's A team. Bruce, when we got to stand with Bruce, he opened this conversation with a message of hope. This isn't a death sentence. We can fight this. he's, He's talking to us about all these people. He's treated with the exact same cancer. And we're thinking, my goodness, we found someone that knows what they're talking about. So it wasn't a rushed conversation. He, um, he gave us um, undivided attention, a heap of his time. He answered like we had long pages of questions and he patiently sat there and answered all of them, giving us options and, and data and alternative treatments and everything else in between. He answered all the questions that no one else could or was willing to answer for us. He reviewed the current treatment and made a few suggestions based on his experience this, this guy is connected worldwide. He has knowledge that we've never seen and, and, he, and he was thinking outside the box. So we finally found an expert that we'd been searching for and it was amazing that he was actually based in Australia, which we're very thankful for.
2: That must have given you and Donna so much hope and, and just affirmed the positive mindset that you'd kind of developed over the previous few weeks, meeting that new oncologist and, and starting chemo.
1: It was unreal. Like it it, it was the kind of thing where, you know, you look back and you think, geez, if we got into rare cancers or we we knew about rare cancers earlier and we had this recommendation and this guy was in our life earlier, how different things could have been. So it was, it it was really good. And it was really good to have the professor, uh, Bruce Robinson, looking at this stuff and also consulting with the oncologist and the endocrinologist back in Brisbane and they're all talking about the treatment and talking about it together. And we really feel like we've got a, a really good team of people working for us. So after we had these meetings, it was decided that, that they were pretty happy with the treatment that Donna was on. There's a few studies with the combinations of chemos uh, and they were happy for it to continue and, and monitor and manage her progress. So off we went and Donna faced the onslaught of the chemo and uh, we started getting some good news. Quite luckily, if you could call it that, I suppose, uh, we've, some of the scans showed that the radiation had worked really, really well, uh, treating all the cancer in the bones. So, uh, most of that had gone. Uh, the chemo and the mitotain looked like it was working as well with some of the cancerous lesions and shrinking. And, uh, we we're pretty, pretty chuffed with that. It was pretty amazing. So, you know, you've got to kind of keep positive, but you're also wondering what's going to happen next, I suppose. So, that treatment Donna had, the chemo and the mitotain, uh, a, a very, very tough and rough treatments. But as per usual, Donna really kept the positive frame of mind and just worked through it. When she was sick, like she was really, really sick, but you know, when she was good, she got out and, she, and, and we just made the most of life. We have this conference at my work and, and this year it was held at Melbourne and Donna, Donna loves to come to this conference. She's, she, she's got a lot of friends in my workplace and it's always really good fun. But of course, She's not feeling the best, but she's so desperate to come and catch up with her friends and attend this big gala dinner that we have every year, big party, right? But (laughs) she's just had treatment, so she's full of all these cancer drugs and she's not feeling the best, but amazingly, she drags herself to Melbourne. She gets dressed up for the gala dinner. She's rocking the bald head and she hits the dance floor and she danced. And she danced all night. I was so proud and in spite of how strong she's been through the whole situation. It's just amazing.
2: Mm. Mm. People are often quoted saying that you should celebrate the little victories, and that's particularly true for people on their cancer journey. These are the little things that help you take the next step. They are the little moments of joy Joy with loved ones. Joy in finding that you can enjoy your favourite food or sit in the sunshine or sometimes just enjoying moving your body and dancing. You okay?
1: No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. I'm fine. It's it's, it's just hard mm-hmm. rel- reliving all this stuff, but um, mm-hmm. I'm fine. So... In November 2019, it was, we got to the end of a treatment. So it had been pretty successful. Everyone was pretty happy. We were, we were hoping that it was going to continue as, you know, the drugs work through the body and do what they've got to do. We're, we're hoping it was going to be right. But she'd, she'd actually reached, they would given her so much of this, the chemo drugs that she'd reached her lifetime limit of one of the main chemo drugs that she'd been having. So everyone's kind of agreed that, Bean, I you've had a pretty rough uh, February to November. We're going to give you a bit of time off and, uh, we're going to have a look at this after Christmas, which it was a little bit scary because you think, you know, it's an aggressive cancer. Just keep throwing everything you can at us at it. But, um, I think at that stage, we really needed a bit of time. We really needed to kind of reset ourselves. So actually early on when Donna was diagnosed, we decided to try and make the most out of the time that you know, we've we we we've got left. So I had this great idea. I love making lists. I, I thought I'm going to get a whiteboard and I'm going to hang it up in the kitchen where, you know, you can't ignore it. It's always there. And on this whiteboard between Donna, myself and my daughter, uh, we're going to make a list of all the things we want to do. Like just, we'll just make sure that anytime Donna's feeling well enough, we'll, we'll, we'll get out there and just do something. So that was pretty good fun because you're thinking about what you want to do, and we kept updating it and making a, a focus on on doing these things and enjoying our time together. When, when when Donna was good enough to kind of leave the house, and I set Donna a challenge to start with. I said, Donna, like I want you to put your one big wish on there, like p- put something on there that you would think you'd you'd never be able to do. And she thought about it for ages, and I thought that you know maybe she wasn't too keen to do it. Um, but I woke up one morning and walked downstairs and the space on that board was filled in. She had Donna's big wish, and that was she wanted to go to uh, Lapland and take our daughter to Santa's Village in the North Pole. And it's funny because Donna's always dreamt of having a white Christmas, but of course living in Queensland, you don't really have much of a chance of that. Now, that had sat on the board since probably March, April, and we're kind of thinking that's not really going to happen, but here we are all of a sudden. It's Christmas time. We've got a month off treatment. So we frantically, with no time, started to piece together Donna's big trip to kind of make her wish come true. And and once again, thanks to the generosity of my CEO, um, we, we were ready to leave with, in very short notice and managed to be able to do everything that we wanted to do. Big challenges though with that, of course, because you've got a very sick person traveling um, overseas who takes a lot of uh, drugs, I suppose. So we had to go and stock up on a month's worth of drugs for her and uh, she's got a huge bag full of all the tablets and stuff we uh, needed to take for her. Um, travel insurance is interesting. I think travel insurance costs more than the trip. Once again, luckily for us, Professor Robinson uh, is so connected worldwide that he put people on standby for us in the places we were going. If Donna needed help, we, we could get the right people no matter where we were in the world. So very luckily, we managed to take a month off to go to Santa's Village, to go around the North Pole, to have the White Christmas. We did Europe. We did New Year's in London. We caught up with friends uh, that lived in Amsterdam we haven't seen for years and years. And uh, amazingly, we managed to tick off uh, her big wish. That wish list on the whiteboard and having something to look forward to, oh, I really think that helped us maintain that positive mindset.
2: I would have made amazing memories for your daughter as well with both of you.
1: Yeah, that was kind of the plan. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of tell your daughter, pay attention, Grace. Uh, like, you know, pay attention, get off the phone, spend as much time as you can with your mum because, you know, this could be the last time, triple memory you're going to have with her. So that was tough and we're very thankful that we got to do that.
2: A mm. mm, nice break, I'm sure, from the reality of hospital and chemo and the focus on cancer, although she still had to take her medications over there.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: it's like that, isn't it? You have a great holiday, you get back, and then well, I suppose we get back into Australia and all of a sudden reality kicks back. Doctor's appointment scans. It's all, it's all coming back again. So, um, yeah, that was good, but it was also good because we're very anxious to see what's kind of happened. So, um, we get back. Dr. Suter's uh, actually now on, I uh, was on maternity leave at the time and we had to see another oncologist to re- re- review the latest scans. So we are a little bit disappointed. Um, that we couldn't see Dr. Suter, but of course she's off to have a baby, so we're very happy for her on that. So off we go uh, to see the replacement oncologist, and uh, as Donna calls it, uh, you get the skin anxiety. Uh, it's always high, um, and of course it was compounded with just the thought that, well, we haven't had any treatment for a couple of months. There's been no chemo, and is it going to be growing? What's going to happen? So we're sitting down with this oncologist, and uh, they sit down to review the latest scan, and uh, she sits down and she, she reads through the documents and uh, turns around and tells us, uh, I've got some good news. All the cancer in Donna's body is gone. There is not a single sign of it left. The legions that were on Donna's liver, they weren't even sure if they were cancer now. They thought they might have been some fluid buildup or something. So they're saying everything's gone. So, of course... You've gone from thinking you're going to get the worst news in the world to an absolute high, but as, as I always am, you're very sceptical thinking, how can this be? How can we have such an aggressive cancer that no one's got any information on? We've gone through, we've done the best treatment, you know, maybe, maybe it's because we're positive people, but how can this be positive? Once again, we kind of left this meeting just in shock but well, we thought we better go celebrate. So, of course, we head out, we head out to have a, cele- celebra- uh, a bit of a lunch and celebrate and, you know, the tears of joy kind of come. And, but as I said, I'm pretty skeptical and, and, and we've just discussed, let's not get too excited um, because this does sound a little bit too good to be true. Uh, we've got Bruce in Sydney. Why don't we just get all this stuff to Bruce and he can review it and see what he thinks because Bruce has really been the voice of reason through all this and kind of keeping everything in check. So we did that. We sent the results off to Bruce and uh, it took him no time at all to come back and say, get a second opinion as quickly as you can. So we went back and talked to the standing oncologist um, and said, hey, can can we just double check this? And she escalates with uh, the radiology department in the hospital and organises another scan and a panel of people to review the scan. So they're they're really helpful and it it was really good. They're going to help us get another opinion. Um, and of course, we're looking at other doctors and other people just to uh, we're thinking of going to pay for other scans, just to be sure to be sure. So the oncologist calls us back in um, and uh, tells us that unfortunately they've misinterpreted the scans. The cancer's still there, and it's still spread throughout the body and of course, as you can imagine, this this news just hits you like a a ton of bricks it, it It's nearly as bad as the original diagnosis. We're kind of sitting there numbly, going through this meeting. Once I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes once again, and you think, yeah, well, you know, it, 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 if it sounds too good to be true, it, it is. And, and we knew we shouldn't get our hopes up, and, and we kind of expected this, but it was really hard news to take.
2: Yeah, that's awful.
1: So um, you know, we digested this. We looked at the reports, and uh, you know, we were very disappointed to say the least, and pretty upset.
2: How do you think it, it that that era? Happened? Is it because they misinterpreted what the tumours were, or there was a miscommunication? I mean, that that's a that's a pretty major error to convey to you guys.
1: Yeah, well, what we were told was the radiologist that uh, kind of reviews the information on there uh, has has made a mistake. It, it, even though it was really bad news and really hard to take, like it, it was still really positive because all the cancerous lesions have have shrunk considerably, like like lots. So. They were saying there's no more need for any other drugs but mitotone. So uh, the result was actually really, really good, but it was clouded by this misdiagnosis, I suppose. We walked out of that with we just need to do regular scans and they were really happy with the progress. So something that we probably should have been celebrating was really hard to. It was really hard to. From there, uh, our little A team of uh, Anita... Penny and, and Bruce, uh, we're sitting down and we're, we're really planning on what's next when the st- cancer starts to grow again. Th- there is pretty limited options for Donna, but um, there is some immunotherapy and some of the out-of-the-box treatments that um, Professor Robinson's um, put on the table. We, we really don't know what is next for Donna um, because we're just taking every scan as it comes, uh, but we're still remaining very positive because I believe that really makes all the difference and uh, you try to make the most of every day.
2: Mm, that's the key, isn't it? Just um, taking each moment at a time, and I think you know that's that's the case with any cancer, but even more profound when it's a rare cancer that is so uncertain, and there is so much unknown about it that you can't even depend upon a renowned treatment pathway. It just makes things so much more challenging. Did you? Continue to try and research your way. Once you, once you'd found Bruce and you had a bit of an A team, did you continue to try and rely on your own research, or did you, did you take that burden off yourselves?
1: Well, I don't think you can ever really stop because you, you, you really just—I suppose you really just—you've really just got to take every, everything you can in because not everyone's going to know everything about this stuff because it's so rare. It, It's—I it, don't think it ever ends. Like even now, you, you, you're still. Trying to listen out and hear for things. Um, and of course, you, you meet a lot of people as you're doing that and you hear a lot of really tough stories to hear. And, and of course, it always just seems that the hardest stories to hear are, uh, are people with rare cancers. You know, I, I really got, um, energized into rallying the troops from, you know, my work and from Donna's work and, and, and getting on to, um, a lot of the rare cancer Australia fundraisers that, um, that you guys do pretty interested in doing a Kosciuszko walk and raising some money and, and doing that stuff would be, would be good. But oh, I just kept lying awake thinking, well, it's, 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 it's just not good enough. Like, oh, I need to do a bit more. So um, I got talking to a friend of mine uh, about this and uh, we discussed putting together a bit of a, a charity-focused grassroots motor racing events to help raise some funds, just, 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 just not really serious racing, affordable motor racing that's a bit of fun. It was an interesting time for me when when I was putting this all together because, as, as I said to you, uh, I'm kind of a bit guilty of throwing myself into work because it's such a good distraction when this kind of stuff happens. So here I am working my normal job from seven am till six thirty, you know, roughly, and we've got all the doctor's appointments and all the treatments with Donna um, all happening, and then after dealing with. Um, with with those kind of days, you'd you'd go home, you'd put dinner on the, the table, put the daughter to bed, and then uh, I would work until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning putting these racing series together. I really underestimated how much work would be involved in getting everything set up. Um, and, of course, it was another way of avoiding the grief and the stress of what was going on at home with Donna. If I go back a bit and we go to when we got the incorrect diagnosis from Donna, um, I'll share a little bit about myself as a carer, I suppose, here. I I, I was working some big hours. I'm doing the racing events. I'm dealing with life in general. I'm, you know, doing what a male does, ignoring everything. And uh, I started um, waking up, noticing I've got a pretty tight pain in my chest. But I did the pretty, I did a pretty good job of ignoring it. I just thought, oh, I'll pull a muscle. It'll go away. It'll be right. But um, time kept passing and this pain in my chest didn't get any better. So here I am thinking, this is awesome. I'm probably going to have a heart attack here. So, I reluctantly jump in the car and head to the doctor's and all of a sudden, of course, I'm I'm concerned for me rather than being concerned for Donna. All of a sudden, here I am concerned about my health and my own morality and uh, thinking, well, geez, if I'm in trouble here, who's going to be around for our daughter in in, in the long run? So, head to the doctor, get myself a blood test and you know all the heart checks and the full physical and the results come back and I'm pretty confused because he says, I'm okay. And I'm thinking, well, I can't be okay because I must be having a heart attack or something here. And the doctor starts talking to me and uh, says, you know, what's been happening in your life? And uh, he says, you probably need to go see a psychologist, to which, you know, I kind of scoff at, you know, I'm, I'm okay. But I do think hmm, that's a bit funny because a good friend of mine, uh, unfortunately, has been dealing with his wife's rare cancer and her very tragic and sudden passing. And they'd been telling me, Week in, week out, go to a psychologist. You need to go. It's, it's, it's worked for me so well. Maybe it's the male thing again. I've been brushing it off and making empty promises. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll go do it. I'll go do it. So after the doctors told me this and my friend's been telling me this for some time, I thought I probably should go and see a psychologist. So I booked my first appointment and I was pretty convinced it was a waste of time. As, as I've said, deal, I'm a pretty skeptical kind of fella, but, uh, guess what? Amazingly, it wasn't. I learned a lot, actually. It it turns out that my journey of being a carer for Donna, always trying to have control of what's occurring, ignoring my grief and emotion, uh, had me with a bad case of anxiety, which I don't even know what anxiety did to you, but apparently it gives you a pain in the chest in some instances. So I I had a couple of sessions with um, the psychologist and uh, amazingly, uh, the pain in my chest is gone. I'm learning a lot about myself for the first time since Donna's diagnosis and I'm thinking about me which normally you feel very guilty about in these situations, but all of a sudden I'm not solely focusing on what I need to do for her. And um, if I can recommend anyone going through this, I I really should have done that earlier. Uh, All carers should get some support because you throw yourself into being the rock, making the plans, making sure everything happens how it should, and it takes its toll.
2: Mm, That's a really good point. Actually, they're all good points. Thank you for those reminders. Your initiative, these motor events are such a wonderful, wonderful idea. Tell me a bit more about them and what you're doing in the lead up to them.
1: Basically, we're doing uh, a bit of endurance racing. So you can get in a cheap car, you can grab a bunch of mates because it's team racing. So you, you do it with two to three to four people. And uh, you go and try to make your car survive around a track for four hours, seven hours, 14 hours. So. Uh, and then, of course, uh, as the guys are building their cars, they're doing some of their own initial fundraising. plan is to uh, get some money together and uh, help support your patient care programs.
2: Brilliant. Well, Ben, thank you so, so much for putting the time aside today.
1: No, uh, thank you. I think it's been probably a good bit of therapy for me to get it all out too, so thanks for your time.
2: And with that, we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much to you all for listening today. And if you enjoyed it, leave us a review on iTunes, please. If you'd like to learn more about charity motor racing, there'll be a link in the description. I'm Dr. Emily Isham, and I'll catch you next time.
0: In your own journey, you may find something similar. You may find triumphs in the little victories that mean more than words can explain all the way down to feeling like you've just gone 10 rounds and getting back up is tough. These are all part of the experience. And if you take anything away from this episode, remember that time passes and things get better. You just have to keep moving. And as they say, a journey of a thousand miles must begin with one step. Next week, Dr. Emily will be taking it back to where it all began alongside RCA's own Richard Vines as the pair bring season one of Radio Rare to an end. I've been James Matthews. You are not alone, and we are the Rare Cancer community. Bye for now.
1: We, we have a, a lovely story about uh, a father and a son walking along a beach, and they come around the corner, and there's about 10,000 starfish stranded on the beach, and the little boy goes up to... The first starfish that he sees and he picks it up and he throws it back in the water and then he picks up another one and he picks up another one and the father says, there's too many, you can't make a difference. And the little boy turns around and picks up another one and throws him back in the water and says, I made a difference to that one. And Mm. and that's very much our our philosophy.
0: Radio Rare is produced in-house at Rare Cancers Australia and is hosted by Dr. Emily Isham and me, James Matthews. Narrative writing and mixing of today's episode by Alexander Smith. Reporting by Dr. Emily Isham. We are edited by Christine Coben and myself. And our episode music is from Audioblocks. You can listen to all of our episodes for free on our website. And you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Simply search Rare Cancers Australia and click the subscribe or follow button at the top of the page. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to keep up to date with written stories from patients, carers, and information regarding rare cancers. Thank you for listening. We'll be back shortly with our next episode.